0: contributing citizens no matter where we go, but having a sense of purpose, guiding that as a guiding spirit. Japanese call it ikigai, French call it raison d'etre, and we might say just sense of purpose, and that guides us, keeps us alive, keeps us going.
1: Welcome to The Indianist Podcast a show about leaders of Indian origin who have overcome challenges and worked with dedication to ultimately achieve success. By telling the stories of the defining milestones in their journeys, we hope to inspire others to learn how they too can succeed in their pursuits. Here's your host, Sanjay Puri. I'm very excited to have Dr. S.P. Kotari with us today. Dr. Kotari is Professor of Accounting and Finance at the very famous Sloan School of Management at MIT. He has an MBA from IIM Ahmedabad and a degree in engineering from BITS amongst many other honors that he has received. And he is amongst other things been advising large corporates in US and India, and like he's been on the board of the Bombay Stock Exchange. And also he received. Padma Shri, which is one of India's highest civilian award in 2020. I invited him on this show because he has a fascinating window into the top execs in the US and India. And I'm always interested to see how do successful companies in US India work similarly? Also, how different do they operate? So welcome, Dr. Kothari. It's a pleasure to have you on our show.
0: Sanjay, it's always delightful to meet you and talk to you. And thank you for that very generous introduction. I look forward to having this conversation. It's pre flowing so feel free to ask almost any question, and I will try my best to answer in a fashion that might be helpful to you as well as the audience.
1: I think it's going to be an interesting conversation, and Dr. Kothari, the... Part of the podcast is that there are people who get inspired by journeys of people like you who want to know what makes it happen, what's the secret sauce or the secret mojo. So we like to really delve into things that are generally not the most obvious thing. So with that, Dr. Kothari, can we start how your journey began right from the beginning? And obviously now we know a little bit about you, but tell us where were you born and how tell us a little bit about your journey.
0: My journey began 65 years ago in a small town, Gulbarga. These days it's called Kalburgi. Many Indians haven't heard of it. It's in Karnataka, nothing added. We were Gujaratis ancestrally, but spoke Marathi at home, but grew up in Karnataka. All I can say is I received love from every corner. So the journey began long ago. We were a family of four siblings, my parents were educated. That probably made all the difference in my life. And went to Marathi Medium School, and that's where I grew up, the formative years. I was 16. Until then, I was in Kalburgi. I used to visit my mom's parents, my grandfather grandmother. They lived in Pune, and that was a big city for us. So that was trying to exposure to something big and glitzy that was, for us, that was Pune.
1: Wow. To be honest, I've been to Karnataka many, many times, but I've never heard of Kalburgi. I don't know, maybe some of our folks in the audience have. But it is interesting, you were probably speaking Gujarati and Marathi and maybe several other languages at home, and obviously going from a small to a larger city. How did you end up at Bitspilani, Dr. Kothari? That was the big
0: breakthrough. I jokingly say that I moved from one small city to a smaller city, Pilani, and but the whole world opened doors to me. That was a place that I saw, a sense some real competition. Kids were from all over India, Mumbai, Delhi, and Calcutta, and Chennai, and other places. They were mostly English medium educated. They were much more polished. They were much more worldly, extraordinarily smart, and I was thrown into that. And my feeling was, I shouldn't be a failure there. (laughs) And so I worked hard. And next thing you know, I I got fortunate. I benefited immensely from all those around me. The biggest thing is that I began to aspire for bigger things. And places like Bitspilani and I am Ahmedabad, and then coming to the U.S., they encourage dreaming big. They don't laugh at someone when someone aspires to be something. And that in itself motivates. It's a big intangible that is extraordinarily important. We always say how parents are important and they are in that respect. Many parents are able to provide some education also, and that was the case in my family. My parents were educated, so they were able to. But more importantly, they said, they nurtured the aspiration that I had. They didn't say that, hey, you're destined to be some clerk or something, but they said, you try to be what you want to be.
1: Generally, you would say, hey, some kid from Bombay or Delhi who's gone to some prep classes, etc., ends up in the IITs and things like that. But you were from a small, very small place and yeah. you ended up there. So there must be something within you that says, hey, Because it's not for our listeners, getting into one of these places is almost as tough as getting into Ivy League, which Dr. Kotari is in now. So he knows a little bit about that, but it was not easy, Dr. Kotari. So was there an inherent drive? Was there a push from your parents or your siblings, or it's just that you wanted to achieve something? Much as I want to, I mean, there clearly was push and drive
0: and encouragement from my parents and the entire family, my siblings. I was the youngest, so I benefited a whole lot. I always say that I learned the meaning of selfless love from my siblings and my cousins. They were not expecting anything. I was the youngest, and yet I was the beneficiary of selfless love. As far as I think some of it, I have to credit my parents and God for what I was born with, which was that I always worked very hard, I was ambitious, I had a desire for success, and that showed through my schooling and then when I went to college also. And now, at a place like MIT, I have seen Nobel laureates and others, and what I can always say is that there are two things that are in common. One is they are very smart individuals, but B, no matter how accomplished they are, they are all hardworking. I see Nobel laureates even on weekends coming to MIT Sloan and working, and they don't have to do those things long ago, but even 75, 80-year-old, and they are working hard. So hard work is something that I have seen universally. All those accomplished people, when people say, oh, things come easy to me and all that, that might be true, but still, there is hard work behind
1: all those success stories hard work is important. You can't coast on your laurels. But just going back after bilani Dr. Kothari, you could have just gotten a pretty good job, whether in India, US or elsewhere. Then you ended up in what is arguably, I'm sure some people in Calcutta, Bangalore will have arguments, but it's probably one of the best management institutes in India, if not Asia. So what was it that you said, I need to actually go further into management?
0: That's a great question, Sanjay. After engineering, I got a job as an officer at DCM. They used to call it management training. That was a coveted job, if I may say so myself. It paid almost twice as much as what engineers received. So we were the blue-eyed boys. I was very fortunate and I was placed in Mumbai. I had done chemical engineering and I was not too keen on pursuing technical work. And this was an opportunity management trainee. So, to get a commercial side of it, and they put me in sales. And I was excited about it. But what I realized after about six months that I could do that job even in my sleep, and I was doing well. So, I was itching for something a little more. I mean, they were nice, and, and I still very fondly remember my first boss. I learned a lot from him. So, I had no complaints, but Reality is, I got a little bored and that propelled me to asking what next. and MBA at IM Ahmedabad was a natural thing. I had decided after engineering not to go to the U.S. because my parents thought that anybody who goes to the U.S. doesn't come back to India and I respected that and I decided to stay back. Obviously, that didn't last long because after MBA, I said I got to For myself, and not to be disrespectful for my parents, God bless them, but I decided to
1: come to the US. How was the experience in Ahmedabad? Again, you must have been thrust into some highly smart competitive environment, too, right? Absolutely. Ahmedabad, if Pilani was challenging and interesting and
0: exciting, group of students, so was Ahmedabad. In fact, those who had done well in the engineering or commerce schools or economic schools or arts and sciences. Some of those ones landed in Ahmedabad, so the competition was that much more. It was very case-oriented and discussion-oriented school, classes. I loved it. Even now, every morning I wake up and a group of my close friends from Pilani and a group of close friends from Ahmedabad, we exchange on WhatsApp some silly things, some interesting things, sometimes educational, sometimes jokes, but that is a bond that was built. And it's not just friendship, but this enormous respect for how accomplished, how smart, how contributing successful individuals they are. And that was the ocean of students that I encountered
1: at Ahmedabad and I'm ever so grateful for that opportunity. So some tremendous relationships, even Mm -hmm. though highly competitive, that were built. So how did you end up at MIT? I know it must have been a long journey, but a short version of from Ahmedabad. One thing that I keep hearing from you is what's next. So probably that was also uh, still going on in your mind. What's next?
0: Well, yeah, after Ahmedabad, I, I decided to come to the US and I went to University of Iowa. The reason I applied to University of Iowa was because the application fee was the lowest. And I thought, hey, I could not go wrong with that, but it turned out to be an amazing program. I was very fortunate to receive a scholarship and full tuition waiver. So to the U.S., to University of Iowa, I'm most grateful I would not have been here without their generosity. And again, it was selfless. They were not expecting anything in return. It's credit to American educational system also, notwithstanding the fact that this day and age, we criticize it a whole lot. But reality is that it has been a gem. It has been a jewel on the side of America. So I came to the U.S. and there my sense of purpose was that I wanted to prove that I do well. And again, I got down to business, worked very hard. And I was fortunate in getting a job at University of Rochester. University of Rochester back then was a powerhouse in economics, finance and accounting. And then I again there, it was a little bit like Avis, we are number two, because University of Rochester, we looked up to places like Chicago, University of Chicago, Stanford, MIT and Harvard. And we thought that we were just as good, but we are not recognized as well. That was what drove us to working hard like maniacs. And we did that. And But the byproduct of that was I was noticed in the profession. And when MIT called me, I was... And by then, Rochester was falling on a little bit. Bad times. It's a small town. Kodak was fading. And the opportunity to be at MIT, and they said, come and build the group." So I took up that challenge. And, and I came in 19... 19- Late 90s, and I have been there since, ever since. It has been absolutely most thrilling journey thereafter. It was thrilling before that, too, but here it is at a different stage, different. The size of the canvas is bigger, and I have enjoyed it. During my two and a half decades here, I have been in industry. I went to Barclays for a couple of years, and then I went to the SEC government for a couple of years. And within MIT, I was in the dean's office as deputy dean of Sloan School of Management and many other administrative responsibilities. Throughout, uh, the talent is incredible. Sometimes people ask, what's the biggest difference between Iowa, Rochester, and MIT? And in many ways, students, if you go by their GMAT or something, they might be somewhat comparable. It's not that huge difference, but what is really different is Uh, ambition, aspiration, and ability to look at the same issue, but from a much broader angle, and students, how well they articulate, how confident they are. Students at MIT are, in that respect, Mm -hmm. so much different and better in some ways. And the same thing you find with faculty, with the resources, with so many things. The world is all resources flow to the place where it is good. So in that sense, that inequality or skewness is something that is you observe in many places.
1: Those are great points. Dr. Kotari, you touched on a few things about your background. You've been in the academic world. You've worked also in the corporate world in Barclays and advising companies. And then you've done a public sector stint recently at the SEC. Just for some of our viewers who've not been in that kind of a multimodal what are the differences, if your experience, if you were to look at these three? Because you've seen it up close. There are huge differences. Huge differences in terms of
0: academia is it's mostly an individual endeavor, research. It is a bit like entrepreneur, that you start some new project and you hope that it succeeds very well. And the success is gauged by, it. does the profession see merit to that? the paper, the research that you have conducted. So it is a little bit of an individual journey in academia. The public aspect of the academia is when you are in the classroom and the youthful energy kind of inspires you. It keeps you young, I suppose. At least I would like to think that way. It doesn't feel that way sometimes, but that is academia. In industry, you are trying to achieve some good performance, good profit, And nothing wrong with that, you're trying to do that everywhere. But in the process, you work with a team. You want to inspire that team, lead that team, motivate that team. And you also want to make many tough decisions. But it is all toward the purposes of a different kind, which is, it's a commercial. I I don't want to say that any purpose is bad. I think it is a matter of choice. But there it is, you are working for someone. And I don't mean to say that by way of boss, but, but really the purpose of the corporation is to serve some client and nothing wrong with that, but you're serving the client to make more money for yourself. And that seems a little different. Again, as I said, each according to one's own. I'm not making any judgment, but I noticed that. And while folks at Barclays were nice in the industry, but there again, I thought that I was doing the same thing over and over again and it didn't seem to serve a bigger purpose. Then I had a taste of going in government at the Securities and Exchange Commission. I really enjoyed that. But government sector is very different. There, it is more self-actualization, more you, there are many very talented people and they are interested in working. They are driven by passion and public purpose. And they would work. Salaries are decent, but clearly they're not, there's no upside there. Then there is a group of individuals who won't care less. They are there for the ride, and you can't fire them. There's no merit pace, so they are there. And so it's very different in government. But I said, I'm going to focus on folks who are passionate, talented, interested. I have my objective of. A short period of time in the government. And let me make the most of it by doing some good. And we work hard. It was different. I enjoyed it. And once again, to reiterate, I'm not passing any judgment. I think each according to one's own. And we all want to be contributing citizens, no matter where we go. But having a sense of purpose, guiding that as a guiding spirit. Japanese call it ikigai. French call it raison d'etre, and we might say just sense of purpose. And that guides us, keeps us alive,
1: keeps us going. Sense of purpose and working hard, Dr. Kotai, those are two key themes that I see so far in your life. You've done some interesting comparisons. I'm going to, and one of the things that fascinated me about having this conversation is you've seen up close American corporations at a pretty senior level. And also Indian corporations. For our, you know, listeners, just is there a difference in how they operate? Just give us some idea of, of what the differences are.
0: That's a fantastic point that you raise. Okay, and I would be remiss if I said that there are no differences. Okay, at a superficial level, there may not be differences, but I think there are two important differences. One is risk taking. That American corporations the emphasis. On innovation is far greater than on imitation. So, and that will come through. Innovation requires greater risk-taking. Imitation is a slow; it's a safe route. And when I say imitation, I don't want to be pejorative. But you take the pharma sector. India is world's largest producer of pharmaceuticals, but they are all generic. There is not as much innovation now. Some of it might be because of the economic condition even Japan, when it, after World War II, when I was growing up, the quality of Japanese products was, hey, a Japanese product hair. You know, so that was somewhat pejorative there was. So, they also went through a stage where they initially just mass produced and started to emphasize quality, but it took a while. So, it is possible that India is on that trajectory, but Right now, if you look at it, that's one big difference that I noticed. And the second is, there's a lot more family-oriented, family-owned businesses. So many of those leading industrialists in India are business houses, family-owned business homes. And that is far less in the US. Now you might ask what, what difference it make? The difference it makes is our ability to question or ability to challenge anybody is far greater in the U.S. than it is in India. And that will get reflected in the overall quality of decisions. This is not to take away anything from the enormous amount of success and the pride that we have in what India has achieved. So don't get me wrong, but today, those are the differences, and I think we want to nudge India to become a little more risk-taking the businesses and focus a little more on innovation. It cannot happen overnight, and I don't want them to change their business policy overnight either. But the movement has to be in that direction and a little more emphasis on professional management as opposed to business houses or family-owned businesses. Those are the two big
1: differences. That's very helpful. Mm innovation, a risk-taking, and maybe more professional management. And maybe, as you said, it's an evolution that will happen as the economy grows and as time goes. But those are excellent points. Dr. Gothari, you had an incredible journey, but there must have been some, how should I put it this way, some challenges along the way. And you have a very optimistic Can do attitude. But, you know, there's always challenges. I mean, you coming from a small town, and has your Indianness, as we call it, helped you with some of those?
0: Well, definitely. I mean, challenges without a doubt. And it's somewhat consciously we overlook some of the failures or low points. But I have had my own share of low points. And greatest regret that I have is my father passed away when I was only 30. So we talk about all the things that I have, but he saw almost nothing of it. And so that is an example of a low point. That's not the only one. I have been rejected from many jobs or some other things. I went through a divorce. So I have had those low points, and friends and family have been enormously helpful. That has been a source of. And consciously, if you ask me, what is it that helped me? Two things. One is, to Resist the temptation to react impulsively. You go through a little bit of withdrawal or whatever it is, but not react immediately to when you are faced with those adverse outcomes. That has been helped. Whether it is Indian or not, Indianness, maybe it is, but that certainly has been helped. And the second, which certainly is Indianness, or at least that's what some of the preachings would say, which is that. Forgive and not hold a grudge or not remain bitter about it. So, that I think has helped me in moving on because I always say that please do not hold a grudge in your own interest. Do not do it. Not because you want to be nice to someone, but if you hold a grudge, if you are bitter, that's going to affect your performance. And so, at least it's in your best interest to forgive and Move on. If you have made a mistake, sometimes that is the case. Nobody is infallible. We have made not reacting impulsively, helps us, gives us some time to reflect and learn from that experience from mistakes and improve
1: for the future.
0: So, those are the two things. And I think there is a strong connection to Indianness. But whether it is or not, I don't want to brag about that. But those are the two aspects that have served me well. And that's what I attribute how I have tried to remain
1: calm and forward-looking through those adversities. Those are great points, especially for people who are looking at following in your footsteps, not reacting and looking forward. And that applies to even reacting to emails and messages that sometimes people have a tendency to just do it and say, can I take that email back? But those are great points. Switching subjects, Dr. Kothari, in 2020, you were awarded the Padma Shri for people who don't know. It's one of India's highest civilian awards, and they only have 1.4 billion people to choose from. So it was a very big honor. Tell us, how did you find out? Did you actually go there in person to receive it? Because, as I said, it's only 1.4 billion people that they have to pick, and these are like limited to very limited amount of people every year.
0: It certainly was a humbling experience to receive that and dedicate it to all those who have contributed to my success. I knew that I was nominated. Someone had said that nominated. And I said, OK, I mean, you know, I took it only half seriously. And then nothing happened. And then, on just before, I think, the Republic Day, 26 January, two days before that, the Consul General from New York called me. And he said, the government of India would award you the Padmashtri. Will you accept it? I said, accept it? I, wish he's there. So I was not I was <laughs> almost incredulous about that. I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I will accept it. That didn't turn out to be as simple as that. So I accepted. I said yes. And then I went to the SCC. I was working for the government, obviously, at that time. And I went to the SCC, and the ethics department said, oh, no, you cannot accept any gift from a foreign country. I said, what? I said, Oh my God, I'm in another. I said, what am I going to say now? So and then the chief of staff to the chairperson, Sean Beman, he came and he said, Wait a sec, This is the foreign government is an honor giving you this award. There's no monetary value associated with that. So he talked to the ethics department. The ethics department said the State Department has to issue a letter saying that this is okay and so that the whole process I mean, you know, folks in DC—they earn their living doing these things, I suppose. So, <laughs> so that happened. But I did go in person to India to New Delhi. It was very touching. It was overcame with emotions, walk, going into the Rashtrapati Bhavan and receiving the award from the President of India, as well as there were in attendance Modi ji and others, and I had a meeting with him as well as Swed. Finance Minister Nirmala Sitharaman and Shriwad. My friends began to respect me a little more. I suppose you know after that. And no, it was incredibly humbling. It was a great privilege, and I'm very grateful for
1: for that honor. Well, you much much deserve, Dr. Kothari. Since you mentioned Prime Minister Modi, he was here last week in D.C. for a state visit. Any thoughts on how? US India relations move forward. You've had a front seat towards that, Dr. Qutari.
0: Absolutely. And I think this is the relations have been the strongest ever. And that is credit to Mr. Modi. He's not like just in the US, but I think all over the world. I will not to drop names, but I had the privilege of visiting Israel several years ago. And Mr. Modi had become Prime Minister only a year before that. And in Israel, I was meeting Prime Minister Netanyahu at that time. He has been Prime Minister so many times, but he was Prime Minister at that time also. And when he saw me in the cabinet room, I was leading the MIT delegation, and he put his arm around my shoulder and he said, how is my friend Mr. Modi doing? I was taken aback. First of all, it's not like I'm personal friends of Mr. Modi, but for Mr. Netanyahu. For him to hold Mr Modi in high regard even back then was an indication of how like mister Modi is and last week's his visit state visit that was very palpable demonstration of America's love for India and for Mr Modi. Not just love but admiration and respect. So those relations are strongest ever I would say at people level, at academic institutions, or at exchange of executives or corporate ideas. That bond has always been strong, but at a political level, I think it has reached a new level of strength and that bodes well for India. Now, I will be cautious and I will also say that we have to be mindful as to how much anybody can help us. Ultimately, we have to help ourselves. The way Japan and Germany after World War II, they were vanquished. Their economies were completely vanquished and they have risen like a phoenix and they are world leading economies. And yes, US and the West help, but I think US and the West help mostly by way of not holding a grudge and a little bit, but most of the work, the heavy lifting was done by people of Japan. people of Germany, just as two examples. So, same thing is with India. I think if India, this is a good gesture, the strong cooperation between the two nations, I think, bodes well. But how much advantage we take and how much success India achieves will depend largely on how does the Indian society.
1: Well, that's wonderful. It was a very, very successful visit. And as you said, We'll see how it plays out in the future, Doctor Kothari, We are called Indian Americans people in the U.S. There's an Indian part of us, and there's an American part of us. We have that thing. Is how do you balance that? You have a professional thing, etc. Is that a challenge sometimes for you?
0: I think so. It has been 41 years. So i now with time. A lot of things get healed, as well as a lot of things help you assume new persona. So with that caveat, but I think most important is being less self conscious. I think what happens is when folks come here, everybody starts thinking that others are watching and judging us. And I think reality is others are not judging as much, but you feel that others are judging us. So you're self conscious and that affects your behavior a lot more. That's what I have tried. Maybe I'm unaware of my surroundings or whatever it is, but I have not either spoken what comes to my mind or said, and that has helped me blend in quite well. So it was on Bombay Stock Exchange Board of Directors, if there is some Indian food to be eaten or speaking in some of the Indian dialects, I feel entirely comfortable about it. And I think the part that helps me is not... To think that the whole world is watching you and is judging you and evaluating you, and being less self-conscious about all of those things helps bring out our natural self, and that I think is quite helpful.
1: Only judge yourself, not let others judge you. I guess that's the point, Doctor Kotari. You've had some a great, great journey, and I know that there is still mm-hmm. a lot more to come. So, where do you see? your journey going from here, Dr. Kothari?
0: I wish there were a lot of runway. I hope there is a lot of runway. I wouldn't mind one more opportunity to do some public service. Otherwise, I mean, it is hard for me to imagine that there would be too many other things. I want to improve my golf game, I suppose. The opportunity to engage in public service doesn't come through. I will continue to be faculty. I enjoy being with students, being with my colleagues, engaging in some research, writing some. I'm doing a little more policy relevant work. So, hoping that I will continue to make a difference. But that's what the journey looks like.
1: Public service, golf game, Mm -hmm. students, it sounds like a great mix. And I have a feeling there will be some surprises that you've not even planned for, like we've been surprised by artificial intelligence and other things. So, who knows what comes by. Dr. Kotari, we, towards the end of our conversation, we have a lightning round or where we ask some questions just to get some very short answers from you. So the first one is, what is your definition of Indianness? Everybody has a different one. So can you tell us?
0: bit shy, bit reserved, polite, and playing it a little safe. I think that summarizes, captures Indianness.
1: Okay. Shy, polite, reserved, playing it safe. Who is one living person, either in India or of Indian origin, That inspires you? Well,
0: if you're saying living person, it would have to be Mr. Modi. He does inspire. I mean, it is true that the guy has been relentlessly pursuing. We may or may not agree with everything that he does. Nobody agrees with everything that anybody does in the world. But he has been a person of clear conscience and selflessness. So he is
1: quite inspiring. That's fantastic. Last closing question. What advice would you give your younger self, let's say maybe 20 or 30 years ago, if you were having a conversation with yourself?
0: I would say take more risks. And I will tell you that success comes in the way. If you're doing well, then you don't pursue your passion because you always say that, well, I have to give up so much. And I wish I'd done that a little less, you know, been a little more risk-taking and pursued my passion and gotten into politics perhaps or public service a little bit sooner than I did.
1: We have a president who's at 80, another candidate who's in his late 70s. I think there's still pretty long runway for you to get into politics and take more risks, but <laughs> that's great advice. <laughs> take more risks. <laughs> Dr. Kothari, this has been really a very enjoyable and especially learning for me and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners for taking the time and also really opening up yourself to us and our listeners. Thank you for this conversation.
0: Thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts with you and for taking the time to do this podcast. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories.